Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. good afternoon. Thank you for coming to our session on storytelling. We um, have uh, most of us on laptops, almost all of us on laptops, and so one of the things that I like to do, especially if we don't have more than 15 people, is all get into a free chat environment before. Have you all used Etherpad before? No. Okay. Yes, some of you may have noticed it says Yarmouth, Maine, September 2011. I have switched laptops this semester. And this particular slideshow I thankfully had saved online because I was just going to be altering it um, for today. And anyway, that's why we've got the, the incorrect information. Let me, let, let me uh, get us all into um, an interact, a free interactive chat environment where we can share links and ask questions and, and things like that. And then we'll talk about storytelling. Um, has anybody used Etherpad before? Okay, and it looks like I'm not going very far on my nice D-link, so let me see if I can put in our, our uh, cryptic password here. D1, is that a capital S? No. Lowercase, no. it's all lowercase. Oh, it's all lowercase, thank you. And it's district with the I1. Oh, okay. USC 500. District and the W? No. Um, you're going to go USC 500 and not the Okay. Oh, I see. Right. So Etherpad was was originally bought by um, by Google to be part of Google Wave, and so uh, but then they open sourced it. So there are a variety of different places that you can get on uh, an Etherpad site to be able to collaborate. So especially if you're in a one-to-one -one with laptops, um, it can be really, really good to, uh, to utilize. Of course, there's issues as far as having an environment like this where, you know, we're not logging in and things like that. Um, over here on the side, It says featured sites, and so these are websites that are running Etherpad, which is this free open source tool, and you can go there and create a new Etherpad um, for, for everyone to use. So I'm going to do that for our class. So I'm going to try, uh, I'll try PiratePad. I'm going to open up a new window, and what I want to do is come up with a name for our PiratePad that's going to be unique that somebody hasn't done before. So, um, would is KCKPS is that what or what is the acronym that you all use for the district? Is that right? So let's see if anybody's done that one before. So I'm going to try to do that, and oh, lo and behold, it does not exist. Yes, please create the pad. So what you can do right now on your computer is you can go to that address, and you'll be able to join. Etherpad lets up to 15 people join the same space at, the, at once. So when I'm teaching pre-service teachers and I have 25 kids in the room, I'll have them double up. And so we therefore won't have everybody online, but you know, in partner groups, we'll, we'll be online. So if you go to the address piratepad.net slash kckps, then you're going to, to jump here into our PiratePad environment, now our Etherpad environment. You can put your name up here at the top. And we all now have colors, and we can type. So um, our session title today is Deepening Our Learning Through Storytelling. So um, 
I'm going to just paste that here at the top. And then the first thing that I want to share with you is a link to our uh, resources. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just Google that. And um, oh, wow, look at that. My blog is blocked. Is there? Okay. So if you are not able to get online and your neighbor is, I apologize that you might not be able to, to all be on here at once. If I bypass the block, is that going to bypass everything or just bypass? Right. Is it going to block? Is it going to bypass everything or just this one site? Okay. Okay. So this is a, the blog post I wrote in September when I shared this session in uh, Maine. And what you have access to are all the slides that I'm going to be sharing with you. Okay. So this is just uh, shared on SlideShare. And then all the videos that I'm going to share as well uh, that we're going to talk about and discuss. And we'll probably throw in a few extra ones as well. Um, so let me go ahead and um, type a question and let you guys answer this uh, to start off with. Um, I'm going to say, what do you want to know about storytelling uh, with students at school? So I'm going to type that as a question. And now any of you who are in the Etherpad should be able to find a new line and put your answer down below. Etherpad lets you have a little chat environment over here. So if anybody wants to talk about what they had for lunch or, you know, how, what they're going to see in the next session or anything like that that's sort of off of our main topic, you can type it here. But then over on this side, this is sort of like a Google document where we're editing it together and we can be typing at the same time, seeing what, it, what each other is typing uh, in real time. It is a little tricky when we do have, you know, 15 people in as far as getting a new line and stuff like that. So you may need to, to click and kind of navigate. Yes. So yours is not on the um, the Kansas the KC KPS. So if you erase that address at the top and you put in KCKPS. Now, well, it's fortunate we have more than 15 people. I'm glad we've got more folks. Um, but for the sake of the Etherpad. It, it has a limit of 15 folks at a time, so it may be that not, not everyone can, can okay, go with it. Okay, so you're on piratepad.net. Okay, this is the address right here. Piratepad.net, you were on Piratepad. You just needed to put that address there at the bottom. Okay, you see my, you see my address, piratepad.net? Slash KCKPS yeah, on your address bar, right at the top of your browser. Okay, where it says front page, you're going to erase where it says front page, and you're going to go to KCKPS. Front page, what is that? It says front page right there. Okay. Okay. Now type KCKPS. Okay, and enter. Okay. So we've got 16 people that are in here. Yeah. So you were, you may have been on the right page. Okay.
Images are powerful communicators. And one of the encouragements that I want to give you today is to not only use images, but specifically use stories as a way to help your kids um, hook on to knowledge and information and to make it stick. Um, this is, um, these are a couple educators in Yarmouth, Maine, and this is my daughter, Sarah, when we were up there last year. And one of the things, Yarmouth has been doing one-to-one learning for uh, 10 years. And one of the, the, the things that, even with 10 years of one-to-one behind their belt, uh, that they are still working on is students creating media and sharing it publicly and being able to connect this idea of story to curriculum and to learning. Um, who knows the inventor of this device? Anybody? Um, or, well, let me ask you this in a different way. Well, we, we may not know that. How does this technology affect your life? Anybody? Drastically? How? What are, what are ways that that affects your life? Refrigerator. Your refrigerator is USB powered? No. <laughs> it might be. I mean, I've heard stories that, like, your refrigerator will be able to detect, you know, the milk is going bad. You need to go, you know, buy some new. It might, it might be. Well, Bill, Gates, Bill Gates' house probably is. Say again? How, though? Give me a specific example. Okay, so so sneaker drives being or sneaker net, you know, USB flash drives being able to put content on there. That's a specific example. How else? Printers, printing, pretty much all printing does. How many of us have a digital camera? Probably all of us plug in a USB connection to transfer those images off that USB camera. How about a smartphone? Anybody using a smartphone? Okay, most of those are going to plug in with USB. The new Mac is going to have Thunderbolt, which is going to be faster. But, I mean, USB is probably here for a long time. Floppy drives, they're here for a long time, right? Finally, we've, we've kind of gotten rid of them. But, you know, USB is going to be here for a long time. Well, uh, this is the fellow who actually invented the USB, and he works for Intel. And I've used this video in different contexts. Uh, one context is just thinking about redefining geek at school and this idea that, uh, that being a geek uh, can be a cool thing and a good thing. Um, I have downloaded the uh, videos, most of them, that I'm going to show you today. So I'm going to go ahead and just open them up um, locally instead of playing them through YouTube. But uh, this is the Rockstar ad that Intel... Oops, let me make sure I got my... I hadn't, didn't test my speakers in advance here. Give this a try. Sponsors of tomorrow. Okay. So, seeing that kind of a story in a video format is probably going to stick with us a lot more than simply hearing his name, you know, seeing uh, his credentials and hearing about what what kinds of things that he did. Uh, How are geeks at your school regarded today? Are they the outliers? Are they the. I mean, what is a geek, by the way? Anybody a history geek? 
here? Anybody a geography geek? Anybody a cooking geek? We could be geeks about a lot of things, right? I mean, a geek's somebody who has a lot of specialized knowledge in a particular area. They probably like to talk about it. They like to share it. You know, it's not just technology. Um, but, I mean, geeks tend to be smart, right? How, how do you learn about new recipes and new things for cooking? Anybody watch any, any shows that you like? What, who do you watch? Who are your, your Yodas of cooking that you... Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray? Who else? Steve Rex. Steve <laughs> Does he, is he the dive, diners, dives, and drive-ins? Uh, no, he's a, he's a barbecue pitmaster. Okay. Traveler. Okay. Um, how many of you have Googled a recipe, let's say, in the last month or Googled something to cook, right? I mean, isn't that awesome? My wife has found some sites where you can, like, put in the food that you have and then what can you make with it, you know? I mean, technology, smartphones, iPads, iPods, things that have now become more mainstream have, have I think, done a lot to change this idea of geek at school. But I would argue that it's time to redefine geek at school as cool. Geek at school doesn't necessarily mean technology. You can be a geek about a lot of things. But it's cool to be a geek. It's cool to be smart. It's cool to hang out with other people who are really passionate about that thing you love. And so I think video can play a powerful role in helping shape perceptions, and it can be a powerful way to communicate. And so one of the things that I want to do and encourage teachers and students and everyone to do is to share the passionate love for learning that we have, specifically a passion for science and math. How many of us have been intimidated by math in our past? Anybody intimidated by math today? You know, there's all kinds of research about uh, math anxiety, uh, the numbers of teachers who will go through training and they'll be like, oh, I'm going to stay in elementary. Why? I don't want to teach that math. Well, wait a minute, you know. How, maybe you can teach that math. How could we address that? In Yukon schools where I've been working this semester, thank you, we have a STEM program for grades four and five, and it's just a, like another special, just like going to PE or art or music. Every week the kids go to STEM. And I really think that project or that program is doing more to change perceptions of fourth and fifth graders about math and science than anything else that I've seen because regularly they are doing math and science and it's cool and it's fun and I think it gets at this idea of redefining geek so where were you on September 11th last year do you remember mm-hmm last year 2011 do you remember where you were I chose not to fly and I was actually on an old um, landmark in Shanghai China uh, looking across the river I took this with my with my iPhone uh, that's the Pearl Tower of Shanghai, and uh, you know, because of what happened a decade before, we decided. I decided, and, and one of the other people at our conference decided not to fly on that day. Uh, Ten years ago, certainly 15 years ago, if we'd looked across this river, we would have just seen rice fields. This is called the Pudong area of Shanghai, and there was nothing there. And now, this is what we see. Um, it's incredible to see what's happening in China. And I've been to mainland China now four times, once to Hong Kong and three times to Shanghai. And it's challenging to put into words, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, one of the things I think it means for sure, and we can say this without a doubt, is that the Chinese economy is ascendant. The, you know, just from demographics and the numbers of people moving to their cities, the rate of industrialization, the entrepreneurial activity that is happening in that country, it's astounding. And I'm not one to say, let's just 
get our kids into STEM so that we can compete better against the Chinese and, and the folks from India and, and other countries. But we have got to help our kids be equipped with skills that are going to be relevant in the 21st century. And gone are the days where we can reasonably expect most of the students in our class to have a single job and work for a single employer and have a very consistent job experience throughout their lifetimes. Um, it's much more likely that they're going to have a, a variety of different experiences, a variety of different skills that are going to be required. And the folks that can be creative, that can solve problems, that can innovate, and that can connect ideas as well as people are going to have valuable skills and do have valuable skills today. So today's session, I come to you with two basic needs. I think we have a need to communicate the power of video and story and to use that. And I already talked this morning about the need we have to play with media. We need to play with these tools in order to get our heads around um, what, you know, how we can use them in our classroom and how we can use them with our students. And um, the resources I've already that is a link that works, but uh, we've done the, the link to the Etherpad today. And when you also uh, Google my name, you can click Handouts at the top of my blog, and you'll be able to link to our resources. Um, so before I go into these slides, I'm going to jump out of my presentation here. I want to give myself... Please excuse the interruption. Ms. Angela Sharp from Coronado, please contact the main office right away. Ms. Angela Sharp from Coronado, contact the main office right away. I want to give myself a little bit of time to read what you all have typed. And if, again, you weren't able to get into to be able to type, that's, a, that's okay. Just have your neighbor type. If, um, but this is a question I'd like for you to talk about at your table. And then if you want to type in some of your answers, you can do that. I'm going to give you a minute and a half. The question is, why don't you now ask students to do video projects or more projects? In other words, what are the obstacles? What are the reasons for not doing more video projects with students now? And I'm going to set a little timer here and give you 90 seconds. We can have everyone freeze for just a moment. Freeze. That's a yeah. Woohoo! Okay. Great thing about hey, who resurrected it? How did you do it? Hit undo. Okay. Did you see what just happened? Someone accidentally deleted our whole document, but it's being archived and saved all the time. So it's not a horrible thing. But whenever that does happen, it's kind of good to make sure we can undo it and get back to that point. Good job. Okay, continue. Sorry. <laughs> but I think we. Okay, um, so here's an example of, of, 
maybe using technology in a transformative way. I don't have time. Well, I could make time, but it's not going to be practical for me to ask everybody to share their idea. But because we have a digital space that's shared, some of you have typed things that may not speak up if I ask for your input, and I may not have the time to do that. So we've got access to technology, teacher discomfort, support from administration, um, not enough staff time, um, the content demands that we have in the curriculum, a strict curriculum, read 180, discipline control. These are all real issues, and I hope today's session is going to give you some ideas about resources, but it's also going to empower you to think about offering up video as an option for your students that isn't necessarily going to happen in class. We do not have time with the curriculum requirements and everything on our plates to dedicate weeks at a time for students to do a video project in class. We simply don't have that option. The good news is students have greater access through labs that would be available at school, through phones that they may have or their friends may have, or computers that they have, can have access to in other places to create video and to be able to share video. And there's you know, lots of different kinds of projects. In general, I believe the following things about learning. We need to make stuff, okay? I'm going to be talking at you and with you in this session, but if we were to take a little longer and create a video together, if you were able to make one, that is going to be a much more powerful learning experience than simply watching somebody else do it or talking about it. So we got to make stuff. Second of all, and I mentioned this this morning, Bloom's Taxonomy calls us, okay, with research, to be... Ha Having kids create, be at the creation level, um, and Common Core does as well. And it's not just creating, but it's also publishing it and sharing it with a, with a bigger audience. To create a good digital story, um, what, what do you think makes a good movie? Who's seen a, a movie that had a lot of fancy special effects but not much plot? Have you, have you seen any of those? They proliferate, right? You know? I remember seeing a George Lucas uh, interview a couple, you know, it was more than a couple years ago, but he was, he was talking about how special effects don't make a good movie. What, what makes a good movie? A plot, story, characters, development, the story arc, right? Going on a journey, having tension and conflict and building up to that climax. That's writing. That's the writing process. And, and all of those things, if we want to have a, have a good movie, a good digital story, we're going to be talking about writing and the elements of writing. Uh, there are all kinds of digital stories. And um, one of the resources that I definitely want to let you know about, um, I didn't mention in the keynote today, and that is an organization called Story Chasers. Story Chasers started about six years ago, and um, we are... Just a group of four four teachers, and that have grown in in uh, number. We started in Oklahoma, and um, in our Oklahoma website, which has been going for six years, we have 951 videos that have been made by students and teachers. And if I would search for something like yesterday was Veterans Day, if I would search for veteran, here's 32, 33 different videos, uh, many of which are interviews with veterans. Um, but that are, that are uh, veteran-related stories. Well, 
about two years ago, we started Celebrate Kansas Voices. And if any of you know Cindy Danner Kuhn, who is a professor at Kansas State University, she's one of the, the real champions of this. Dean Mance, um, who's in Sterling, also is. And I'm amazed. We have 30, 345 videos now that have been created. And uh, depends on how people label them and tag them. But if I put veteran here, we've got uh, some different uh, videos that have been created about veterans, and I'm sure there's actually probably going to be more, more than that. So uh, Celebrate Kansas Voices is a project where um, teachers spend two days in a workshop getting a digital backpack of equipment, getting a digital camera, getting a headset with microphone, and getting a flash drive, and then about half the time's instruction and half it's building, and, and building a video um, that usually is three to five minutes long and, and tells a story. Um, in fact, I think before I show you another example, I'll go ahead and play this one. This is one of the featured ones that we have. And uh, this was created by students of Vicki Constable, who took our workshop a couple years ago. Let's take a look at this. Constance B. Boyd, now Connie Chester, enlisted in the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps on June 30, 1943, at Camp Phillips in Salina. Six weeks later, the WAAC became the WAC Women's Army Corps. This little thing, that was the little thing you got when you were discharged. This was the goddess of war, Athena. And that, we wore that insignia. And I first uh, was sent to Fort Leonard Wood, we were in what they call the engineers. I changed it to the Army Service Forces, so we didn't wear that insignia all the time. Pins and badges of different varieties were almost always worn and buried among WAAC members. Chester wore 15 different varieties of pins, patches, and medals along with her dog tags. Along with Chester's duty as a member of the Army, she also had a job that she performed on the base. I was basically a clerk typist. Two years, five months, 14 days. See, when we got out of gas, see, they gave me 100 back and $21.05 travel pay. Although activities in the town were rarely attended by the women, Chester found her own ways of having fun on her base. They would get us up sometimes about 4.30 in the morning to uh, drill, march. I like that. That was, that was fun. <laughs> okay. So... That is not going to probably be in a Steven Spielberg, you know, uh, Academy Awards, you know, some kind of uh, recognition ceremony. But I think there's a lot of value to that video. And what I want you to do, and I'll give you two minutes to do this at your table. And if you want to um, go ahead and type some of these, you can, or other people can type some of these. My question is, what did it take to create uh, the video A Woman Serves? Okay, I want you to brainstorm with people at your table what that took.
energy to do the voice. Okay, um, you all brainstormed a good list. Folks who typed, let's see what we left off. Time, research, planning, student ownership, camera, microphone, computer, uh, access to the woman who was interviewed, uh, student interest, a program that allows you to put voice and music and photos together, knowledge of how to do that, research skills, and maybe transportation, you know, getting to the interview and, and being able to do that. Anything we left off of that list that you talked about? We kind of mentioned, I mean, it's not really stuff that you need, but you do need an objective. What was the objective of that? Absolutely. You need the story and the focus. What was the purpose? A lot of the stories on Celebrate Kansas Voices are interviews with people about their life experiences, you know, a turning point in their life or a significant life event. Um, some of them have been veteran stories. We've had Kansas schools that have done that for Veterans Day to kind of build up to do interviews and then show those at the Veterans Day celebration and sometimes bring those veterans into school. But it's pretty neat to be able to have that video recorded because, you know, not only do we get to see it in school, but we get to forward that link and share that with others. In terms of requirements, some of these are answered on the Story Chaser site under frequently asked questions. Um, one of the, the questions was equipment. So here are the links to the equipment that um, we've just ordered up from CDW. We basically have ordered uh, $250 of equipment um, that we uh, provide. And you can see that this particular digital camera is no longer available. They always want to sell digital cameras, it seems like, for 100 bucks, and so they uh, add megapixels or you know do something else to go ahead and keep that price point higher but basically a digital camera um, the recorder that I have around my neck right now that I used this morning is this Sony digital recorder um, that one actually this is the one that's around my neck now because Sony has updated it you can pick up a recorder for about $35 at uh, Walmart or Target you don't want to get one that has a tape you want one that's digital Okay, it records in digital format and hopefully in MP3 or WAV format. Um, this is a wireless technology. Could you check that out to students? 
Yes, you could. And we have libraries in some Oklahoma schools. I don't know if we've got Kansas schools doing it yet. Putting that in their library inventory, barcoding it, and kids check it out just like they do a library book. And they can take that home and they can conduct that interview or they can, you know, on the weekend when they're going to grandma's house or going somewhere, they can be the, the mobile reporter who is conducting the interview. It saves hundreds of hours of audio. And I am personally a big fan of the narrated slideshow. Okay, it's okay to shoot live video, but it's harder to get high quality video. There's also just more to worry about. The lighting, your hair, makeup, all these different things. Whereas if I have a still picture, you know, I can select it for my purpose and what I want to communicate, and I don't have to try and control so many different things. Um, another piece that's important is a microphone. This is a Platronics headset, $32. Uh, this is a pretty durable one for classroom use. It plugs in with USB and uh, students can listen to what they've recorded and uh, be able to um, you know, record again or edit or, or, or change whatever they need to do. And the other things are a flash drive and a memory card. Uh, people mention software. Audacity is a free audio editing program that is available for all platforms. It works on Mac, Windows, um, even Linux. Not that a lot of us probably have Linux computers but it's free and it allows us to edit audio. So if I wanted to right now, load up Audacity. What button at the top do you think will record? The circle. The circle, the red one, okay? Red is kind of the universal record button, so I could just hit record. Hi, this is Wes and we're here in Kansas City, Kansas talking about Audacity. And I could stop that. Hi, this is Wes, and we're here in Kansas City, Kansas, talking about Audacity. Now, one of my favorite things to demonstrate with Audacity is something like this. I really don't like broccoli. I really don't like broccoli. I really like broccoli. <laughs> what did I just demonstrate? The ability to spin media, the ability to edit it, the ability to change the fundamental meaning of it in the way that I edit it. We need kids to become more savvy about media and information in general, right? It's not the case that, oh, Wikipedia's here and now kids have got to become critical thinkers. No, they've always needed to be critical thinkers. But when we become creators of media, content creators, suddenly the roles change. We start to look at media differently. We can start to look at advertisements differently, movies differently. Why? Because we're creating them. And we're thinking about what kinds of strategies and techniques are the producers and the directors using to be able to create it. So Audacity is free. It is a great program. I've probably made close to 500 podcasts in the last 10 years, and like 99% of them I've made with that program. I have GarageBand and other programs, but I really love Audacity. It's very powerful, and it's 100% free. Um, the other thing that you do need, and uh, I guess, all, do all of you have MacBook Airs? Is that right? This is my yeah. first experience to ever work with teachers where everyone has a MacBook Air. That's so cool. Um, <clears throat> you know, iMovie is a very powerful program that allows us to bring together different kinds of media, and that is the, the tool that we're using in, in the Story Chaser workshops 
um, to be able to, to make those videos. And so if you're using Windows, your kids have access to Windows. I think the best free program Microsoft ever made was Photo Story 3. And you can still get Photo Story 3, um, and it can still run on Windows 7, but they, they have other, they've got Movie Maker and Movie Maker 2 and stuff like that. All right, so those are, those are some of the basics in terms of, um, of hardware and software. Um, at the top of our Story Chaser site, right here at the top, there's a link that says Celebrate Kansas Voices, and there's one that says Info. We've got a lot of different resources that you can access here. So, for instance, if you're interested in audio and music resources, these are all sites that have copyright-friendly loops and sound effects, um, things like historical recordings from the Library of Congress, um, those kinds of resources. We've also got lots of image resources. Where am I going to get pictures? So these are all different uh, websites that you can use to find images. A lot of these draw on a great website that Joyce Valenza, who's a librarian in New Jersey, put together. Um, copyright and fair use. This is huge and, and, and really important in the, in the context of this. Can I use this? Can I, um, you know, can I do it? Can I, can I use this clip in, in my video? And so there's resources there to talk about copyright and um, also all the handouts. So the handouts that uh, we use for our workshop, the specific how-tos about Audacity, um, you can access all of these. This is a planning guide sheet that we use where we kind of break it down into, into the four P's. I know prune is really not the best term, but help us you know, come up with a better P word for that particular step, uh, step three. Plan, produce, prune, and publish. Um, the planning process is when we get our ideas together. Who are we going to interview? What are we going to do? What are we going to make? Producing is when we go out and do it. We're going to take our audio recorder and interview somebody. We're going to go take pictures, or maybe we find pictures that we're going to put. Pruning is the editing process, and that's where we call it down, and sometimes that's the hardest part. Have you ever asked an older person to tell you some stories about their childhood? Was that a five-minute experience? No, it was a long experience, probably. And so um, that can be one of the most challenging parts, and then publishing and being able to share. I really, really think that every single teacher ought to have access to publish on YouTube. And one of the things that um, we did in UConn schools this year, and maybe it's something that you all consider, is we turned on what's called YouTube education. And this allows for everyone, students included, to access filtered and selected video that is education relevant. But it also is allowing all of the teachers to have a channel where they can publish uh, video content. And I'll go ahead and drop this link into our pirate pad. Um, I'll also go ahead and show you an example. One of the sites that I mentioned this morning was this uh, lesson website that lists all the interactive teacher sites that teachers in Yukon had and were building last year. And one of the ones I'm really proud of is an eighth grade teacher, Marcus Trulove, who's an eighth grade U.S. history teacher, and he had never before used video with his students. And one of the things that his students did at the end of the year for, about the Civil War was they wrote scripts and then they acted out these short skits for their classmates. But instead of just doing it for class, he used a flip camera, which they don't sell flips anymore, but there's different kinds of flash-based camcorders that don't have tape. You know, they're recording it right to the little flash drive. 
And then he shared these videos. Now, of course, before all this, kids signed permission forms and, um, you know, all of the, the confidentiality and permission stuff was taken care of. Um, but this is uh, what I would call an example of a no-edit uh, video project. So in some cases, in fact, and, and bless you, in this one, I know for a fact because I was there, um, more than one take uh, was recorded. But um, turn to your neighbor and talk, let's, let's, we'll divide the room. This side of the room talk about the negatives of publishing on YouTube. This side of the room talk about the positives. You have 60 seconds. Go. Okay, let's start with the negative side of the room. What were some negatives for publishing on YouTube? Okay, people can write nasty comments. Why we always want to moderate. And one of the things you always want to do if you publish on YouTube is you turn moderation on. And that way you will approve comments and they don't show up. But that definitely happens and, you know, it can be shocking to see what, you know, is... How is, is absolutely, how hateful, right? What else is a negative? Talk about how even though they sign a permission slip, it might not be their parent's signature. They might have forged it so that their parents could... Yeah, we can, we can mess up and maybe somebody's going to be surprised and somebody's going to be upset. Now, I do not know of a case in the United States, and we've got, what, like 250 million people in our country? I do not know of a case where students published work at school and they were kidnapped, abducted, and or killed. Okay? There's a fear of that. If my child's on the web, oh my gosh, suddenly kidnappers come. There are folks making bad choices who want to hurt children, and we talk in Internet safety. Most important thing on this, and I'm not going to give you my whole spiel, but it's the three-letter word that starts with S. Okay? Don't talk about sex with strangers. Okay? Uh, it's a bad idea. You know, most of the time when kids are meeting up with somebody, they've already talked about sex in advance. They know that that's all, you know. So there are fears, and there's a possibility of something going awry with an upset parent. Okay? There are those negatives. How about positives? What kinds of positives are there? It increases the quality of students. It can elevate their quality. Why? Oh my gosh, it's suddenly accessible on YouTube? Are you kidding me? None of these kids had ever had their student work ever, okay, and this is this month, May, published on YouTube, and now they have. So when they think about the work they're doing and the time they're taking to write their script and how they're getting their props, the whole process is different when suddenly the audience becomes global. What else? We talked about how um, 
make something, you know, to have made something, created a legacy, something that's tangible is really very strong and hopefully would perpetuate that and they'd continue to be creative. Right, and to try to encourage them to create things they're proud of, to build their portfolio, to be able to point to and say, I made that, let me see that. My son, I don't have this picture, but he threw away all of his stuff from sixth grade like immediately after that year was over. And then, you know, as a teacher, I'm kind of like, oh, son, really? Do you want to throw away all those notes? I mean, I'm the guy who still has boxes from graduate school of these notes I took in these classes. I mean, do you know how much I paid to take those notes? I mean, I always throw them away. But really, the only thing we have left of that sixth grade year was an interview he did with his grandparents talking about their memories of, you know, the 40s and and growing up, uh, you know, when they were young in, in, in that era. And I'm really glad we've got that. We don't really have anything else. So there's a lot that fits in here about what kind of a digital legacy we create, the digital portfolios we make, the things that we're proud of. Uh, What about cost? Okay, What's it costing us here? Folks, do you know how incredible that is? Zero. When I worked at Texas Tech University for five years, 2001 to 2006, we spent big bucks to order servers and to figure out how can we you know, help our pre-service teachers make videos and share. It was hard. It was tough. And you know what? They really weren't that great. And just because we can publish doesn't mean we're going to create great things. But the fact that I can shoot a video right now on my phone and I could publish it right now is scary. It it's, it. it puts a lot of responsibility on me, hopefully, but it's also really, really powerful. So I'm not going to play this whole thing, but we'll just play a little bit of this. This is just one of their videos. This is group number one. You guys are going to tell me what your reenactment names are and what you're reenacting. John C. Calhoun. Daniel Webster. Northern Earth 3. Northern Earth 2. Northern Earth 1. Henry Clay. From California. Southern Earth 3. Southern Earth 2. Southern Earth 1. And what are you guys reenacting? We're reenacting uh, North and South debates over California's admission into the United States. And what took place during this debate? During the time the North and South were arguing over whether it should be admitted as a slave state or a free state, and Henry Clay wrote a compromise which John C. Calhoun argued with. All right, awesome. So let's go ahead and do your reenactment. Hey, look at California over there. What a cool new state. Industry free of slavery. Well, well. <laughs> okay, we're going to start buffering. Well, I won't play the whole thing for you. You can check it out later. Okay. What happens over here on related videos? Depending on what they've titled it and they've added text to, other people can find this. So your students can be creating video content, you can be creating video content that others may be able to utilize. Now, do you think there's any mistakes in this? There are, right? There are mistakes. In fact, that's one of the things that sometimes stops us from sharing. We're like, oh my gosh, the kids might misspell something. And then I'm going to be judged, right? We need to get over that. Okay, yeah, there's going to be some misspellings, there's going to be some mistakes, but there's also going to be this opportunity to have that, you know, discussed and to bring that out and we could redo it, you know, we could replace it or we can have a comment or we can add an annotation. There's all kinds of things we can do, but there's so much power in sharing. Think about your class doing a project like this and having a partner class over in Oklahoma City and being able to have your kids be an audience for each other, you know, that kind of thing is so doable. So think about those possibilities. Um, I want to show you a STEM video example, and this is one that teachers last summer at OSU that participated in a, in a Story Chaser workshop that was STEM-focused created, and I want you to, to watch this video and not think about the technical, but think about the content. What kind of content and what kind of value uh, do you think 
came out and can come out of a project like this. This is three and a half minutes long. Engineering design process is a process used to address problems and generate solutions. We will be using the process in our STEM class this year. The process has five steps that will be covered in this video. Identify the problem, explore and design, create, try it out, and make it better. Michael Solomon, a junior at Oklahoma State University, embraced the engineering process to solve a problem his family faced. He wanted to help his family reduce their carbon footprint by using alternative forms of energy. After being inspired at a science camp, he decided to take on the challenge of building a wind turbine for his family's home. Here is the story of his creative design process. It all started back in 2007 with Velocity Regents Camp. What we focused on in that camp was we spent about a week or so exploring different you know, wind and solar technology projects. But one that kind of stuck in my mind was when we built a small-scale wind generator, and it was, you know, it generated something like one watt or something, which is pretty minuscule. But what we did is we, we went up on the hill at Swazoo, which there's a hill that kind of looks over the campus, and we, it was a windy day, and we, we tested our, our generators that we had constructed. We spent a day or so working on them. I was the only one that kind of kept modifying it, and you know, everyone was just like, oh, we'll just put it together like the instruction manual says. I was like, oh, well, instruction manuals, you know, who needs those, right? You got to just be creative and try, you know, innovate and try new, new designs, and sure enough, mine worked the best because you have to, to constantly tinker and, and, and modify the designs. That's, that's the only way that you know how to, you know, come up with these, these processes. You know, it led into me starting my first prototype generator that uh, was really pretty primitive, but you know, I went through five different you know, prototype processes where I was adapting the turbine that I had built and, and trying new motors and you know, trying new brushes in a generator and putting new magnets in and things like that. You know, and the blades, I changed the blades probably 20 times and, and just kept modifying the design. And, and now I have a turbine today that I came up with that I can call my own because it was, you know, it was my design. You know, I basically built it from scratch out of uh, steel that was I welded together and aluminum made cut and bit myself. Since Michael decided on a final wind turbine, he has constructed his own solar panels as well. He purchased an inverter to allow the power to be used by his home. When Michael was 15, he was able to take his family's home off the grid and depend on his wind and solar power reserves. The family uses the power today to supplement what they receive from the power grid. It has lowered their power bills from $220 to almost nothing. Michael continues to find ways to make things better and improve his design. He worked with a group in college to produce a prototype wind turbine that could be used on large wind farms. He has also had internships in Canada and the Bahamas and has met T. Boone Pickens and shared his vision. All right, three and a half minute video. Talk to your neighbor about the value of that video being created and shared.
Okay, a couple thoughts. I heard informative, but what else beyond informative? It's empowering. How's it empowering? It'll inspire other kids to try similar things that they're good at. Oh my gosh, what's the price of that? What's the price of inspiration? You know, he was 15 and he was doing that stuff. Are you kidding me? Now, everybody's not going to do that. There's not going to be, you know, half your class that's going to go out and do that. But maybe someone will. And video has this ability to bring the world outside the school right here into our classroom and vice versa for our students to be able to, you know, not just vicariously experience, but bring their experiences from outside in the world to the classroom. I don't know about you, but I really, really want to help kids dream dreams and then in their minds start constructing the plans for how to realize those dreams. And I think it's got to start early. You know, I don't think you can just say, oh, you're a junior. Oh, you're a senior. Let's go visit a college, right? No, let's do that in elementary school. Let's do that in middle school. Let's let you, if you're a female, talk to some other women who are in college, who are successful in STEM careers, and hear about what they did. Why were they motivated to become a scientist? What kinds of things do they get to do You know, as a doctor or uh, as an engineer or whatever it is that they're doing? Anything else besides inspiration and information? Professional development? Right? There's, there's a process right there that it went through. We could use that as a model to talk about STEM. How could we be doing STEM you know, within our classroom and, and at our school? So there's a lot of possibilities. Where do we start? Well, I've hopefully given you already some, some different resources to think about. Um, the Story Chaser site is my best recommendation for, for where to get resources. Good storytelling is going to start with good writing. Oh, darn. Oh, shoot. We have to use the writing process. Yeah, we got a plan. We got to write. We got to brainstorm. You know, we can bring in popular, um, popular movies and, and popular stories. Anybody seen Avengers? Been to see that movie? I think it's a pretty good movie. You know, and isn't it on track maybe to beat Avatar with with box office? Not that that's the the single barometer. But what's the background for Avengers? Comic books. Stories, lots of character development. Each individual superhero has a whole story around them. And it wasn't just special effects that they threw together. There's a lot of story behind it, a lot of good writing. So I also think it starts with an invitation. And you are uniquely equipped to give invitations to your students to create stories. Again, you do not need to know all the point and click for all of this. But what you do need to know we talked about at the beginning, are the guidelines. What's our purpose? What would you like me to do? I'd like you to interview somebody that is in our community, and maybe I'll give you a list, about how they're using some of the math concepts we're talking about. How do they use math? You know, bring that into the, into the classroom. Or let's talk about literature. Is that door locked? Can somebody open that for her, please? Um, you know, what is going to be the purpose? Um, but you're going to give that invitation. I used this slide earlier. I think... 
The menu of assessment needs to get bigger, and it needs to include more media. There's no guarantee that just because we use media and we invite kids to make videos that there's going to be great stuff. But to a greater degree than we traditionally have, we need to, to let students have more choices. And in the last session I was in about Common Core and innovation, I talked about using Common Core uh, not as a ceiling but as a floor. Okay? We need to let kids exceed our expectations. How are you going to do that? Some of that's going to be with an open-ended project where they get to exercise some choice. And uh, another resource that I have linked here is a wiki I created or helped create two, two years ago in Shanghai at their Learning 2.0 conference. And um, we went and, and kind of identified all these different kinds of digital storytelling audio podcasts, narrated slideshows, visual essays, tutorials, concept teaching, thinking out loud, um, an event report, a public service announcement, and then something we called transformative. And that website has lots of different examples, galleries that you can use. And as you are getting ideas to share with your students, you know, you can tap into those, show those examples to students, but eventually you'll be able to show your own. And those resonate differently, right? You can show, oh yeah, these kids down in Oklahoma or this kids in California did such and such. But you can say, hey, last year my students created this. And let me tell you, if you ask your whole class, whether you have 20 students or 110, if you ask them to create a video project, I guarantee you that some of those are going to rise to the top and be compelling. And you can use those to elevate the bar, to show kids what's possible. So there are different apps that you can use, and I'm not going to be able to go into detail um, and demonstrate those, um, but Sonic Picks is one. My favorite one, and I will show you a quick example of this, is uh, for the iPad, is called Explain Everything. Uh, the one that I was showing this morning with Amy Leffelholtz was called Show Me, and Show Me is free and it publishes it right to the Show Me website. But Explain Everything is a $3 app, and um, my middle daughter, who is in sixth grade, used the Show Me app with students in her sixth grade science class to create a video that was about, the only reason I can say it is because they said it six times in my kitchen, Aya Fiyetya Yerkel. We won't play this whole thing. In fact, I'll model the pause, so we'll let this buffer a little bit. This is a narrated slideshow. What did the kids have to do to put this together? They actually made their PowerPoint. They saved their PowerPoint files, though, as images, okay? because then those images can come in and be narrated on top of. And so I'll just play a little bit of this. I have yet your goal. AKA the, the Iceland Volcano by Natalie Matson, Ryder Coates, and Sarah Fryer. On April 14, 2010, AF the Icelandic volcano erupted after 200 years of being dormant, causing a massive ash cloud to shut down airports of northern and western Europe. AF is just in southern Iceland. It is 5,466 feet in the air and first erupted in the 1820s. The VEI on the eruption is 4, classified as cataclysmic. The ash. Okay, I won't play the whole thing, and I'll go ahead and share that link. But 
the opportunity for your students to not only, you know, create their PowerPoint, but to record their voice and practice their oral communication skills, their fluency. This is huge. And, you know, in 10 years, I'm not going to be able to come to a conference and just say, hey, how about having your kids do a narrated slideshow? That we'll be doing a lot of them. But right now, definitely where I live and work, there's not many folks doing this. And there are great opportunities for our kids to take projects we've already been doing with text, but add media and add their voice and then add this idea of an audience because we're publishing it out there for the community to see. So I think I am probably out of time. Let me just see if I can quickly go to my conclusion here. Um, another website to know about is Next Vista for Learning. They've got great examples of student videos. They run contests. Um, I don't have time to show these, but they've got, this is like a, a, a Newton's Three Laws of Motion that uh, this kid did with, with uh, math boarding. Um, you know, digital storytelling isn't about us doing all the work. Are you kidding me? Really? I thought I was done at 1.30. Okay. No, I would love to keep talking. Um, okay. Thank you very much. That's great. Um, okay, good. Well, we can, we'll see some other... Because, yeah, what I've got are several more examples to look at and talk about. Um, how many of you have done a PowerPoint with your kids before and had them do presentations? Has that been a painful experience, good experience? So-so experience, a mixed bag. Terrible, actually. <laughs> um, the best model that I've found for doing PowerPoints is called uh, a Pecha Kucha. A Pecha Kucha is a 20 by 20 presentation. That means it's 20 slides, 20 seconds per slide. You're done in 6 minutes and 40 seconds because we set the PowerPoint to auto-advance. And what the students do is they'll go ahead and give their presentation, their slides advance, and what students are encouraged to do is to use full screen images. PowerPoint is abused so often when it's used as a word processor in a text document instead of a visual presentation media. One of the things I try to model in my presentations, sometimes I'll use text like I am here, but a lot of times um, I'm going to be using full screen video. So <clears throat> think about that. Pecha Kucha is a 20 by 20 model. One of the things I believe about creativity is that creativity thrives within constraints. Is there anybody here that actually loves writing haiku poems? Okay, there's going to be some. Uh, anybody really not like writing poetry? One of the things, I w I'm, I'm reading a book by Jonah, uh, Jonah Lehrer uh, called Imagine right now. And he's telling a story... Um, He's telling a story about Bob Dylan and how, okay, this, is, this book is called Imagine, How Creativity Works. The story is about Bob Dylan being so sick of being on tour worldwide and in Europe and he came back to New York and said, forget it, I'm hanging up and I'm, I'm going out to my cabin. And what happened in his brain, he wrote like a rolling stone. And it just kind of came to him, and he, he had this creative moment where he was able, uh, he was able to, um, you know, experience that kind of creativity. Um, one of the things that Lehrer talks about is that creativity can really thrive inside constraints. So if you're going to write a haiku and you have to fit it inside that, you're going to 
naturally your brain's going to be more creative because you have to fit inside it. A lot of digital storytelling, just like a lot of PowerPoints you've probably had kids do, can be digital telling. Tell me, tell me, tell me. The facts are, I affiliate your is this tall, and it's located here. So as kids do more digital storytelling than we do, um, it can move into the area of actual storytelling rather than digital telling. I don't think it's wrong to have you know videos and media that are more tell me, tell me, tell me, but it probably sticks with us more when it actually becomes a story. So... Um, Let's take a look at some examples from Next Vista. This is an example that was created for a video contest in 2011 on math boarding, and it's about the three laws of motion. So as you watch this video, I want you to think about what about this video may stick with us more or stick with your students more than just having a narrated slideshow showing Newton was born and da-da-da in this country, you know, something that's more fact-based. Alexander Jan and uh, I'm from Seattle, Washington, and I'm going to show you a map intertwined with white boy. Can't get up in the water because there's no lift for the board, the plane on the water to be able to get up. I'm going to adjust my board to a 45 degree angle once the boat has started to pull. And this will allow me to play on the wall. Right, now I'm going to show you all these steps in order to properly wait. Credits keep rolling here. Talk at your table with uh, your elbow partner about what might make that video stick a little bit more than just a digital telling, tell me, tell me type presentation. Okay, let's get a get a couple people to share. It gives them the real world application. It's not just something on a piece of paper that they have to learn. Absolutely. It's the real world brought into the classroom. And it's also them going into the real world, right? There's benefit for us watching it, 
But how about for that student who created it, who had to think, huh, i got to do a Newton's Law project to show how they work. Connecting ideas, synthesizing, <coughs> evaluating, all that higher order thinking is applied in a meaningful context. What else? Somebody's talked about audio and video over here. What were you all saying about that? Anybody? Somebody was. Did we talked just briefly about having audio input and video input, um, and then mostly we talked about education. Uh-huh. Yeah. These kinds of tools 10 years ago, I mean, it would have been much more challenging 10 years ago to ask students to do that kind of project. Did any of you grow up in a home where mom or dad took 8mm video? Do you remember those 8mm? Did you have a light that went on the top of that thing that got so hot? I mean, it was like, and did your parent or did you edit those? I remember my dad spending hours splicing, you know, splicing 8mm. And even in their basement today in Manhattan, they've got, you know, slides and they've got 8mm, a few of which have been converted. We have come so far so fast that I don't know that our brains are quite you know, caught up, and we may not get caught up, but it is actually not, not an impossible thing to ask your students to go out in the real world and, and create a video that's going to be about Newton's laws of motion. Okay? They may not have the camera. Okay? Somebody else may have the camera. Or you may need to check one out. You may need to have cameras available for them to you know, be able to check out of the library like they would a library book. How much does a, a camera cost if we went to Best Buy or, or Walmart to get a, just a, a, a flash-based camcorder? Do you know? About 100, maybe a little less. About 100. And what we've noticed with Story Chasers is they like that price point, okay? Kodak, not Kodak anymore. We've got to say somebody else, Sony. <laughs> you know, they like to sell cameras at that price, so they really... You know, some of them are going to come lower, but you know it's the ballpark of a hundred bucks. But if you don't have one of those in your library, think about anybody a media specialist here, library media specialist. <coughs> library media specialists, I believe, you know, really need to to help us as teachers do this integration. And it's not just about resources in the library; it's also about resources other places. So, any other thoughts or feedback about this example? What do you think his grade was? I'm sure you got an A, okay? But I think there's probably benefits outside the grade that are so much more important. Connecting school to the real world. How many of us have dealt with that question? When will I ever use this? How does this apply outside the classroom? Those are, are pretty, pretty important. So um, this is a picture of a huge map, obviously, uh, in Lewiston, Maine, when I was up there for the Google Teacher Institute last September. Um, you can actually ask National Geographic to bring this to your school, and I think you have to pay the shipping cost. They have got different ones. And what a cool way to experience geography. You know, how big is Alaska? How big is, you know, Texas? And, you know, distances and things like that. Of course, this is a projection. There's still stuff that's distorted. But getting kids outside, um, one of the best things that my, my kids' school in Oklahoma City, class in SAS, was doing when we, my son first went there was outdoor school. Any of you all do any outdoor school or get a chance to take kids? You know, we learn about geology, but now we're actually digging in the rocks. You know, we learn about fossils, and we're really, you know, finding, finding fossils. <laughs> You're, there you go. That, that's when it's quick to find that mute button, F10. <laughs> So remember that digital storytelling is not about all, us doing all the work. In a traditional 
learning environment? Unfortunately, it often is. Okay, I'm the one who's prepared. I'm the one who's made the slides. I'm the one who's on my feet. I'm the one who is doing the work. Okay, you're sitting back passively. Much better to have the students involved actively in doing the work. It doesn't mean I'm not going to lecture and I'm not going to be up at the front and using a slideshow, but that's not what I'm going to do all the time. And I, you know, I look at it as digital show and tell. Okay, it's a myth that kids don't like show and tell after kindergarten. A lot of times we ask kids to write and tell us about things they're very shallow in. You know, if you can ask kids to tell you about things where they're deep, where sometimes that's a surprise too. We've been doing an after-school program at our church, and you know, we are all in from in different contexts, and there are stories that we can tell that'll curl your hair. And I'm sure you all have heard many of those from your kids. And just depends. We've got to talk about what's appropriate and what we can tell and share. But there's a lot of value in being able to have students engaged in that active process and sharing stories and, and being able to connect their learning to the real world. Um, so I already mentioned Khan Academy. I talked about that this morning. Um, I think my this was in the slide here to basically say, yeah, Sal Khan is teaching about a lot of great stuff, but we've got students who are also teaching um, about a lot of compelling things. So this is another video that was um, featured at Macworld in 2011 at, at a contest that Next Vista held. And this is called Rate of Work. This one is just 67 seconds long. And as you take a look at this video, I want you to see if you can identify what the task was. What do you think the student was asked to do for this project? A and Painter B can do a job for hours. Painter B can work twice as fast as Painter A. We'll have X the time it takes for Painter A to do a project. And we'll have Y the time it takes Painter B to do a project. And when working together, Painter A and B can do a project in four hours. Here is our equation. And we know Y can work twice as fast as X. So let's plug in Y and do the problem. 1 over X plus 1 over Y equals 1 fourth. 1 over X plus 1 over X over 2 equals 1 fourth. 1 over X plus 2 over X equals 1 fourth. 3 over x equals 1 fourth, cross multiply, x equals 12. Painter A takes 12 hours, and Painter B takes 6 hours. Okay, 30 seconds, talk at your table, what was the task? What do you think the teacher asked them to do? Okay, what do you think? What was the assignment? There is. Go ahead. We're going to go with math. Okay, something about math. Give me something about math. Here's a camera. Something about math. Okay, beyond that, there were constraints. There were 
doing the, I don't know if they, what they were giving first, but it was like a real world um, rational equation problem. Okay. It was, a, was actually pretty tough. First, so. Yeah. A rate of work problem. Okay. That they needed to explain. And if, and if you look up here, 60 second video contest. So that was one of the key constraints. Now, oh, they exceeded it by seven seconds. Maybe that was just the credits. Okay. Remember, creativity can thrive within constraints. You must follow the haiku format. You must limit yourself to 60 seconds. Did you have a professor in college that you really thought graded your work by tossing it down the stairwell and seeing, you know, how heavy it was and, you know, which one landed first or whatever? I mean, we've probably run into people like that. You're like, did you really read it? Did you just want quantity? It can be very challenging to have to be concise. And we have video advertisements all around us all the time that are very deliberately and carefully selecting what they show us and what we hear and what we see. Because okay? it's designed to change our behavior, buy that product, you know, want that brand, wear that brand. So um, I don't know exactly what the, what the assignment was, but it, it is clear that this was a 60-second video contest. And why is that a beautiful constraint when you're a secondary high school teacher and you're going to do show and tell <laughs> because you don't have time to sit there and watch 12-minute videos from 23 different kids. or You're not going to have that many. You're going to divide into groups. But that can be not only good from a higher-order thinking standpoint, but it can also be a practically good thing because we have more time to discuss and get more student projects shared you know, than if we did 10-minute videos. Oh, do I have this one? Okay. Creativity is really important, and if I don't have this one, I'll, I'll pull it up. But um, my son, eighth grader, loves Lego minifigures, okay? And when his teachers give him a chance to make some kind of a diorama or to make some kind of, you know, physical show, you know, something about a book that he's doing, a lot of times he is going to opt to do something with, with Legos and, and with minifigures. Uh, this is a little video that my daughter Rachel recorded prior to the World Creativity Forum and I just think this is a there, there's uh, some wisdom here as we think about creativity and what we do or don't do to encourage it at school Art is one of the things that I like to do being creativity and using your brain and sharing See, at my school, only fifth graders have art teachers and get to do art and get the experience. Well, I feel that first graders should be allowed because art is one of the things that I like to do. Here's one of the drawings that I did when I was young, and even I still like to do art. Even when I was six, I liked to do art. And at all ages... It was all still the same. I think that using your brain and creativity is a good thing. That first graders should be allowed to do art because it's a feeling that you can do it. And using your brain and just doing what you're told to do inside. So I think you should go on and keep moving and keep trying and getting it right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what? 
What wisdom? What, wis- what wisdom did you hear there? I don't know. She is a Why do fifth graders get to be the only ones? That's right. That's that right. Is a travesty. I heard argumentative right. Yeah, argumentative right. Some passion. Some passion there. Yeah. Going inside and getting it right. Creativity doesn't start when you're in fifth grade. No. And we all have the capacity to be creative, right? But she was creative back when in her younger days. In her younger days, <laughs> even when I was young. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's an example of a no edit video. But again, do you have any idea how many takes that took? You don't know. No, I think she did it a few times. Uh, oh, darn. You know, we had to practice it three times. I've used um, even just audio recording with my kids, not when the teacher assigned a media project, but we've used a little recorder like this just to record themselves and then listen, and then they practiced again. And what happened? They got better. They improved, you know. So I do like iPads and video and all this, but don't underestimate just the power of the audio recording and the power of being able to do it again. Okay, live stage performances can be wonderful. And, and actually, my daughters love theater, and, and they're you know, doing theater. But I really think there's so much more power in this because the only version their classmates see is what? Their best take, the one they're proud of. You didn't get to see the mistakes. They happened, but you got to see the best version that, that they did. Um, the last one that I think, I hope I have it in here, and I want, so I want to show it, nope, um, is a little one that we did last year, actually last summer in August, and it is The Hobbit in Five Minutes. And I may, oh, yep, I've got it. story behind this is, my daughter, uh, going into sixth grade, was supposed to read The Hobbit, she didn't, okay? I really wanted her to, but she didn't do it. And what are we going to do? Because school's starting. They're going to read The Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Fellowship of the Ring. What are we going to do? So together um, with her brother, we wrote a little script, and Sarah narrated this. And this took three takes. Uh, you'll see a lot of Lego minifigures here. You'll see some um, uh, Webkins. Uh, you'll see uh, some real high-tech special effects. It was all shot on an iPad. And this really personifies the idea that it's not done, it's just do. Okay? Because we could have done this thing like 15 more times. Because this was a one-take, uh, quick, edit, quick edit video. The Hobbit is the story of Bilbo Baggins, who lived a peaceful life in Hobbiton, in his hobbit hole at Baggins until he decided to embark on a great adventure. One day, Gandalf, the wizard, came to visit Bilbo and brought a band of gold-loving dwarves to his home. Gandalf convinced the dwarves, led by Thorin Oakenshield, to hire Bilbo as the burglar for their quest to kill the dragon smog who had taken over the kingdom of Thorin's grandfather in the Lonely Mountain. On the first leg of their journey, the band ran into three trolls who almost ate them. Fortunately, Gandalf tricked the trolls into arguing about how to eat the dwarves, and they turned to stone when the sun rose. They found lots of gold and some magical swords in the trolls' cave. 
The party went to Rivendell, where the elven lord Elrond lived, and sought his advice for their journey. Elrond then carried them to the Misty Mountains. After leaving Rivendell, the dwarf, wizard, and hobbit band sought refuge in a cave in the Misty Mountain Pass and was captured by a band of evil goblins. Gandalf used magic to kill the leader and free their group, but Bilbo became separated from the others. Bilbo found his way into the dark of the goblin tunnels to Gollum's cave, where he fought a magical ring, found a magical ring, which made him invisible. Bilbo narrowly escaped from Gollum by winning a game of riddles. After escaping from the goblins, the party was assisted by Baron, who fed them at his house and guided them to the edge of the Mirkwood Forest. Gandalf led the dwarves and Bilbo at this point to attend to the other business. In Mirkwood, the party ran into some giant spiders who nearly ate them. Bilbo used his magic ring and small sword, which he nicknamed Sting, to free the dwarves from the hungry spiders. After escaping from the spiders, clutches, the dwarves were captured by the wood elves. Bilbo again saved the day, freeing them by hiding the dwarves in barrels, which floated out of the wood elves' fortress. The party arrived at last to Lake Town, which lay at the foot of the lonely mountain. The people were very excited. The dwarves had returned to kill the dragon Smog and liberate his fabled hoard of gold. At the Lonely Mountain, the dwarves used an ancient map to find a secret entrance. Bilbo, Bilbo then used his magic ring to sneak up, up on Smog, but enraged him by stealing a golden goblet. Thorin gave Bilbo a priceless set of chain mail made of mithril, and Bilbo, unbeknownst to Thorin, took the priceless Arkenstone gem for himself from the gigantic dragon horde. Smog emerged from his lair in the mountain and destroyed Lake Town with his fire, but was killed him but killed himself by a well aimed by an aimed arrow shot by Bard of Lake Town. The people of Lake Town joined the elves of Mirkwood and laid siege to the dwarves who barricaded themselves in the lonely mountain after the dragon was killed. Bilbo tried to negotiate a compromise using the Arkenstone, but Thorin, the Arkenstone, but Thorin was stubborn and refused to give up any of his gold. The impasse ended when an army of goblins arrived on the scene and started the Battle of the Five Armies. This involved goblins, elves, men, and dwarves, and the eagle who finally arrived with Baron to save the day. All right. So, that was not in 60 seconds. That was in five minutes. But there was a great deal of synthesis that went into that project. And I think there was also a great deal of creativity. Um, if I Google Hobbit in five minutes, okay, dun da 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 out of 1.5 million hits, uh, you'll see that video first. And then the other thing that you'll see, and you can do this when you um, have links down here below, 
is we went ahead and recorded a behind-the-scenes version. Have you watched the director's cut of any videos? Like in Lord of the Rings is awesome for this, too, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, it's when the director gets to talk about, or the actors get to talk about what they did. This is something we can do now with our kids when they do a video project, okay? I want you to play your video project, but talk with me about what was happening, what went wrong, what were the bloopers, what did you learn? Just another idea, okay? So I hope that today's session has provided you with some tangible, specific tools, suggestions for things that you can do. My challenge to you, and I know this should say 2012, 2013, but I didn't get to update my little PDF here. I encourage you to try and use the, the Playing With Media framework to create some, some different projects and have students create projects. Start with text, do an image project, use audio, start, you can use video, but take a step forward. Do something more, you know, something more than you've done before. If it's a Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthday, Christmas, holiday present, you know, you can do that kind of a project. But the more we play with media and use these tools, the more comfortable we're going to be using them and hopefully enabling our students to create with it. And that's really where we want to go with this. It's not just about your literacy skills. It's about your kids and giving them opportunities to express themselves with media. So we've got three minutes for questions, maybe. One minute. Yes. We just used an iPad and iMovie. So um, I've got, if you Google... Hobbit in five minutes, in addition to the video, probably, yeah, here's the, here's the post about it. Ugh, I've got to bypass the filter again. I have done a lot of different video with, you know, fancy tripods and... Did I not type it right? There it goes. Um... Oh, I thought I had some pictures of it too. So we, uh, when you get the iPad, um, you can have different kinds of, of stands. We just set it down on the on the table like that, and um, you know used the the camera and had a microphone and and shot it that way. Because if you shoot it with traditional video gear, you got to import it. It just takes more clicks. And so we did three takes. Decided after take three. We're done, and uh, used iMovie to edit it, and it published it right to YouTube. Any other questions? Okay, go forth and make some videos, and then let me know what you do. Uh huh.